Glory to His name. Glory to His name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. Thank you, Dave. Continuing chronologically through the Bible, Solomon wrote, but did not include this in his book. 200 years later, the Lord used Hezekiah to fix that. Again, I can't stress this enough. It is so vital that we remember this as we approach Ecclesiastes. Proverbs 29, which is the last chapter that we're going to be studying in this chronological window. Um, chapter 30 and 31, I think, come later. But in Proverbs chapter 29, we're at verse number 10. Proverbs 29, verse number 10. The bloodthirsty hate the upright, but the just seek his soul. The men of Hezekiah continue discussing get along, getting along with others, and I think that's a clear theme through this section. Like wicked, bloodthirsty is simply not seeking Jesus. Like wicked, bloodthirsty is simply not seeking Jesus. Now, how can I say that? Christians can do it too. If not, this proverb applies to almost nobody. Now I'm telling you, God put the Proverbs in there to apply to us. He put it in our Bibles to apply to us. Who do we know that's bloodthirsty? So we just ignore this? This is just like wicked. Am I on the left side or am I on the right side? The bloodthirsty hate the upright but the just seek his soul. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, which is what Ray read a minute ago, verse number 15. For we are unto God a sweet savor or smell of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor or smell of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life, and who is sufficient for these things? Who do I most easily get along with is what Proverbs 29.10 is saying. The bloodthirsty, those who are not seeking Jesus, hate the upright. Who's the upright? That's the ones who do seek Jesus. It's got nothing to do with specific things. This person is always upright. No one always seeks Jesus. The people that don't seek Jesus hate the people that do seek Jesus. Why? Because the smell, the smell, According to uh, Second Corinthians, it is the smell. Who do I smell good to? Who do I smell bad to? Who do I most easily get along with? If I'm around Christians, am I uncomfortable or am I comfortable? If I'm around non-Christians, am I uncomfortable? Am I comfortable? This is not a hard and fast set rule because some of us, and I'm one of us, some of us don't get along with anybody. We just have difficulty with people, and that's okay if we were willing to make the effort. If we're willing to make the effort. But there's some people, they're people, people, that makes sense, okay? They love being around people, but almost always they gravitate to a certain type of people. Drinkers like being around drinkers. Smokers like being around smokers. Um, even among Christians, there are Christians who are really, really into it. And there are those Christians that are more casual about it. And they tend to gravitate toward each other. The question here is, who am I most comfortable with? 
And if that answer is not an answer that I like, who do I need to try to be comfortable around with? This is a challenge to us to do some work. He that would have friends must show himself friendly. Okay? Jesus, again, the best example. Who did he get along with? He did not get along with religious people. They hated him. They, they're the ones that killed him. Who did he get along with? Prostitutes, tax collectors. Like, well, that just doesn't make any sense. He did not like the prostitutes because they were prostitutes. He liked the prostitutes because they were seeking God. He did not dislike the Pharisees because they were Pharisees. He disliked the Pharisees because they were not seeking God. This is absolutely the splitting point between the two sides. If we can get this one thing, the rest of it, I believe, will fall into place. Waldo Widden, which I think, Kay, you remember Brother Waldo Widden, if I'm not mistaken. Waldo Widden had a saying that made total sense to me even as a kid. He said, watch your pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. And his point was, is so many people are trying to save big money, but they're wasting the little money. Focus on the little thing and the rest of it tends to take care of itself. Focus on, am I seeking Jesus right now? Do I care what Jesus thinks? Got nothing to do with being saved or unsaved. All of us have this tendency as we go throughout our day. I want this. It's something that we've got to consciously be aware of, though. If we don't, we just fall right back into our normal routine, whether at church or not at church. Verse 11 A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. We don't have to tell everything we know. If there is one message that is repeated over and over and over and over and over in Proverbs is we don't have to tell everything that we know. Tell what is helpful, then stop talking. Tell what is helpful, then stop talking. Proverbs 12, 23 is a very similar thing. A prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. What is the difference? Is it helpful? Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Now, there's been a lot of people trying to interpret this. I think it's exactly saying this very thing right here. Am I being helpful or am I hammering them over the head? Jesus he told what needed to be quoted, but he did not beat people up. Yes, he went after the Pharisees, but he needed to make it clear to us, don't fall into that trap. Tell what is helpful, and then shut up. 1 Samuel 16, I think, is, is one of the most um, problematic, scriptures, problematic scriptures there is unless we get this down. Verse number one, the Lord, the Lord speaking, said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, saying, Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have, I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Samuel hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, And the Lord said, Take the heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, if we don't understand to say what is helpful and then stop talking, this looks like God told him to lie. 
Very problematic scripture. And call Jesse to the sacrifice because there is a sacrifice include in anointing the son of Jesse. So he told the truth. Take, call Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show thee what thou shalt do and thou shalt anoint unto me him who I name unto thee. God told Samuel, tell what is helpful and then stop talking. But there's one more that I came across that's even harder. Genesis chapter 20. I read this this past week in my Bible reading and it was just like, all right, do I really believe what I'm teaching with this tell what is helpful and then be quiet? Genesis chapter 20. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Y'all know this story. Even his son does the exact same thing. He's half sister with his he's the half brother of his sister, which is true. And so he tells them the sister part, he doesn't tell them the married part. So what do we do with this? And yet indeed she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And right there, Abimelech is saying, That's the part you forgot to tell us. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house. But I said unto her, This is thy faithfulness which thou shalt show unto me. And there's your key. This is thy faithfulness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place whither we shall come, say of me, He is my brother. Tell what is helpful. He wanted her to tell what is helpful to him. Tell what is helpful to the situation. Tell what is helpful to the situation. We have a tendency to tell the good part and not the bad part, and that's our sin nature. We want to slant the person's opinion who we're talking to toward us. And so we have a tendency to tell the stuff that's positive for us and not the stuff that's negative toward us. I submit to you we shouldn't do either. Don't even do either. What is helpful to this situation? What could Abraham and or Sarah said in this situation that would be helpful to everybody? This is my wife. And stopped. This is my wife. And stopped. Okay? They didn't need to know that she was his sister. They didn't care. They did need to know she was his wife. And that's where he made his mistake. Tell what is helpful and then stop talking. We don't have to tell the whole story because the person really doesn't care. They are interested in what is going to help me make my next decision, as we all are. Tell what is helpful, stop talking. Call Marge. I had a talk with Marge on Friday. I actually wrote down things that I was going to tell you about that call and I thought tell what is helpful I could tell you the whole conversation but would that be helpful I could tell you the highlights but would that be helpful and I prayed and said Lord show me what to say that would be helpful to the whole situation 
And that's what I believe he wants me to say. Call March. Simple as that. You do with it what you will. Verse 12. If a ruler hearken to lies, all his servants are wicked. This is another one of those proverbs. It's like, how in the world could that have one thing to do with the other? If my new boss listens to lies, which by the way, I have three bosses, two of which have been there less than six months. One of them has been there less than six weeks. My new boss is the number one guy in the company. He's in charge of everybody and everything. If my new boss listens to lies, does that make me wicked? According to Proverbs 29, 12, if a ruler hearken to lies, all his servants are wicked. If my new boss can make me godly or ungodly, then he has more power than anybody else in the entire world. That cannot mean that he can determine what I am. But it is in fact true. If a ruler hearken to lies, all his servants are wicked. How could both be? Very, very important question as we look at any scripture. Number one, it is true. Number two, how can it be true? That's the part where we typically just move on to the next one. Stop, take a minute. How can this be true? Whatever this verse seems to be saying, it cannot contradict any other scripture. Rule number two. Rule number two, it cannot contradict any other scripture. But, rule number one, it must be true. So how in the world can it be true and not contradict any other scripture? This is the challenge of Bible study, right there. Bible study is not about memorization. If it is, I fail. I, I can't memorize anything. That's why I've got to have the PowerPoint. I would have no idea what comes next. It's not about memorization. Study is not about um, um, even understanding so much as, as, as being able to regurgitate how it applies to a certain situation. Study is getting it to the point where that makes some sort of sense. And this verse is no different. How can that be true and not contradict any other scripture? We typically surround ourselves with people we like, do we not? If he likes liars, those who are truthful will be rejected. Why? If he likes liars, he likes their savor, he likes their smell. Therefore, he would automatically dislike those who refuse to lie. We will see this happen with Solomon's own son. If the ruler is wicked, he doesn't make his servants wicked. He simply gets rid of the ones that are not because they're the ones that smell bad to him. This happens across the board, even in churches. I like a certain type of person, and I'm the leader, and people tend to be attracted to the leader. If they don't like the leader, they tend to disappear. What does that mean? When dad ceases being pastor here and we find a new pastor, I guarantee you there'll be things about him you don't like. You don't like. There's going to be things about him you do like. You're going to have to decide, is this guy seeking Jesus or not? 
and is that important to me? Or you can do what most church people do across the board and say, I have nothing in common with him, I'm going down the road. Happens all the time. In most cases, when a new pastor follows a, a current pastor, in most cases, the congregation at least 50% turns over. In most cases. You lose about half, but you gain those people back in different faces because there are people at other churches that don't like the pastor they got and they hear about the one that you got. That right there is why we love pastors with kids. We just love pastors with kids. Why? Because we want kids. And so we always want to hire a dude that's got kids. We want to hire a guy that talks well. Why? That's the kind of people we want to attract. We want a guy that actually has some kind of activities going on. Why? We want activities going on. I submit to you this. When the time comes where he can't be pastor anymore and we're looking for a new pastor, Number one must be, are you seeking Jesus? And the answer will not come from him. The answer will be shown by him. How? We watch him. We watch how he makes decisions. What are important to him in the things that he does. Okay? This comes out very, very quickly. The thing is, is as this happens, you will either like it or you won't. Mm. We have to see it. Is, is he seeking Jesus? My new boss is a sports guy. I am not a sports guy. <laughs> he is going, he is in the process of having a meeting with every single one of the 59 employees. He wants to get to know us, us to get to know him. Everything I've heard him say, I am dreading this meeting because we got nothing in common. Zero. Nothing in common. It's like, okay, if this guy don't like me, he has the power to change me. It's not uncommon for a new leader to come in and just replace you. You say, well, that's illegal. They get away around the law. Okay, The law really didn't stop employers from doing anything. Okay? To be able to prove it, that's the question. Yep. I found something in Proverbs that I'm going to do. I'm not going to tell you just yet. I want us to get there. But I'm going to tell you this is exactly what I'm planning to do in my meeting with my new boss. Verse 13. The poor and the seeful man meet together. Does that mean they're friends? Poor and deceitful, does that mean they're friends? Believe it or not, in a lot of cases, yes. Not always. In a lot of cases, yes. Why? Deceitful tends to make person poor. We tend to be deceitful because we feel like we can't be upright, and so we become deceitful thinking it's going to benefit us. It never, ever does. Ultimately, it becomes a problem, and again, we'll deal with that in a few minutes in an upcoming proverb. Is it wrong to be poor? I submit to you, it is difficult to remain poor 
and remain godly. I submit to you that's, that's the case. Not impossible. In the same way, it's hard for a rich man to get saved. In the same way, it's hard, in my opinion, for a per poor person to stay poor if they're seeking Jesus. And I'll tell you why. Okay, Number one, God said, I'll provide all your needs. Therefore, if you're poor, there's something wrong. Number two, he said, go to church. If you're poor, typically, you don't go to church. Number three, Scripture is packed full of good financial wisdom. If we're poor, there's something we're not doing right. You put those three things together, and I submit to you, it's not a sin to be poor, but it can be a very good indicator we're doing something wrong if we stay poor. That does not mean a Christian's going to be rich. Okay? It is possible to have plenty of income and give it all away. I think this is one of the problems with Leroy Duncan, one of our missionaries. Okay, He gets money, but he gives it away to so many people who need it more than him, and that leaves him then in need. I think that's the whole issue with Leroy. The problem with that is, is he's constantly asking for more money, and, and that can be tiresome, and even right now with what's going on with his, with his car, it's like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. If we don't know how we feel about it, give the man a call. Or, better yet, give Ben Glover a call. He's his sending pastor. Say, hey, listen, this is what we're hearing. You're his sending pastor. You know the situation. What do you think we should do about this? Or what do you think is the cause of this? That's another real good question for Ben Glover. The poor and the deceitful man meet together, though, in a very real way, beyond just the comparison of one becoming the other. The Lord lighteneth both their eyes. This is how the poor and the deceitful meet together. The Lord lighteneth both their eyes. The Lord lighteneth the eyes of the poor into things he can do to stop being poor. The Lord lighteneth the eyes of the deceitful with things he can do to stop being deceitful. Whether or not they listen is on them. But the, the Lord giving scripture gives good, solid, wise, applicable successful if they will do it advice to both of these groups Matthew 5:44 not my 5:45 excuse me that you may be the children of your father which is in heaven for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good they meet together that way and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust they meet together that way there are some things we all share all of us the Lord lighteneth both their eyes. Everybody needs what Scripture has. Everybody does. The, uh, the sun, the rain. Everybody needs both of those things. If we look for these things that we have in common with everybody, we can get along. And this goes back to my new boss. What in the world am I going to talk to? I'm... I, he knows so much more about everything than me, except for one thing. Just one. There's something I know better than him. Let me rephrase that. I don't know that I know it better than him. I know that he needs to know it as good as I know it. That's God's Word. He may know more about God's Word, in which case, though, we've got something to talk about. Say, well, at work, you're not supposed to talk about religion. Ah, that's the thing. He can't talk about it to me.
But if I bring it up, that frees us both up, and we can talk about it all day long. It's absolutely legal. What do I intend to say in my meeting with my new C CEO? I've already got it planned out. He's going to start talking, obviously, because he's the boss. It's appropriate for him to talk. He's going to talk, 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 talk. I'm just going to listen, because most of it I won't understand anyway. <laughs> when he gives a pause, that's his indicator he wants me to say something. What do you think about God? I've done that with every one of my bosses. What do you think about God? That starts off the situation in a common place because we both have opinions on God. Even if he has no opinion on God, he still has an opinion on God. No opinion. How does he respond to that? At that point, he will know that's what I'm interested in. And if you're interested in me, you're going to talk about that on some level. If he rejects that, then it's okay for me to reject the things that he likes because he rejected me first. God's word puts us in an even boat always. Always, always, always go to God's Word. Whether it's a specific verse, a specific principle, or just the concept of the whole thing, don't shy away from God's Word. It absolutely will allow us to talk to anyone. Folks, we can witness to anyone. Anyone. The problem is, is we don't know how to bring it up. What do you think about God works in my experience, every single time. But, it's a question that we must be willing to listen to the answer. If they say, well, I'm Catholic, and we lie to them on what's wrong with Catholic, guess what? We push them away. If they say, I'm Muslim, and we lie to them on being a Muslim, we push them away. The only way that they are going to listen to me, regardless of who they are, is if I listen to them first, at that point they owe it to me. The poor and the deceitful meet together. The rich and the poor meet together. The CEO and the meter reader meets together. The, the uh, strangers meet together. If we will decide we want to. Or we can say, you know what, I don't like that person. I don't want to be his friend. At that point, whose fault is it we're not friends? It's mine. Mine. Fourteen. The king that faithfully judgeth the poor, his throne shall be established forever. Let's start with the second part. His throne shall be established forever. Other than Jesus, other than Jesus, name me one leader in all of history whose throne lasted forever. I'll give you a hint. It has to exist today. So you're saying no one judged or gave justice to the poor? Or is it possible I'm misunderstanding this? I submit to you every proverb, every verse in our Bible is meant for me to respond to. Every one of them. If I don't know how I'm supposed to respond, I need to study how does God want me to respond to this? The poor can't repay. Let's be clear who, who the poor is. 
All right. The king that faithfully gives justice to the poor, the poor can't repay. It may or may not include money. It could be poor in anything. If he will treat them right, the people who can't repay him, if he will treat them right, he will treat nearly everyone right and his throne will be established forever. Why? They won't let him go. They won't let him go. Why are there term limits? Because there have been people that we liked and we did not want to let them go. You may be for or against what I'm going to say. Just hold it in so nobody that disagrees with you jumps on you later. Personally, I am against term limits. I think that they are a terrible idea. The reason we have term limits is because there are senators particularly that get in office and they stay in office. We need to get them out. He already has term limits from his voters. If they vote for him to go there, he should stay there forever. Why? He's faithfully giving justice to them. That's why they want him. I submit to you that term limits never, ever, ever help anything. Ever. Only one president made a third term. You know what the thing about it that everybody loved? He helped the poor. Everybody loved it. And there's a lot of people did not like him for how he helped the poor. In fact, he's got a reputation as being one of the worst presidents among about 50% of the population. But the other 50% thinks he was great. Am I giving justice to people? Can I get along with people? If not, why not? Why can't I get along with this person? I submit to you, number one, we're not talking about the right things. We're not talking about the right things. Number two, we want something from the relationship. And according to last week, that makes us wicked. Focus on those two things, and I submit to you, we can get along with anybody. We can get along with anybody. And I'm going to put it to the test this next week. I, because there's 59 of us, and he's already started, I'm going to assume he's roughly halfway through. So that tells me I'm going to be coming up probably in this next week. And so, assuming that it happens, I'll let you know how it goes. But that's exactly how I intend to do it. We're early, but I think this is a great place to stop. Let's make sure there's nothing else, okay? Father, thank you so much for the practicality of your word. Thank you that your word is enough that if we will simply, wisely communicate it, we can get along with anybody. Father, please challenge us. Please challenge us personally. Challenge me personally. If there is someone that I can't get along with, to ask the question, why? Please challenge me. 
to at least try. What an opportunity to gain friends. In Jesus' name, amen. I apologize for